Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I am your host, Kim Smith, and we're on episode 137, David's Desperate Motley Crew. As I have been reading through 1 Samuel in preparation for today's podcast, I've been thinking a lot about the people who are drawn to each of us. Earlier this, well, I can't say earlier this week because I'm recording on a Sunday, but just last week, I was in a conversation with someone for whom I have a great deal of respect. And they were just, they were talking about different situations, different uh, challenges. And in the midst of it, they were talking about a particular person and how they do not have, in their exact words, a posse. And I literally looked up the word posse to see exactly what uh, Webster said it means because that was just, it was such an interesting word. And you know, a sheriff could call a posse to go out and help round up a criminal. Really, the word first started in financial terms, but it also means people of like interest. But in this particular case, what the person was implying was that this particular person didn't have a group of people for whom they had made such an impression that the people would follow and the people would be on their side. Such an interesting thought as I have spent some time in looking at David's posse in today's particular set of scriptures. We're not going to go over many scriptures today at all. But we are, because we're going to really settle on and like spend some time meditating on this whole idea. So we've talked before about young David. David was the young man that was anointed by God, by the prophet Samuel, to be the next king of Israel. But he was a teenager. And there were many challenges, many growing pains that he was going to have to go through before he would ever ascend to the throne. And even when he did, he would not be the king of all of Israel. He was going to be, it was in stages. I mean, he really had a, this is yours, but you are going to have to continue and obey and trust that God's promises will be true, will prove true. And so David's been through a lot and he's been serving in King Saul's army. And King Saul hates David. He becomes so insanely jealous of him that he becomes David's stalker. And you don't see the word stalker specifically in the Bible, but that's exactly what Saul was for David. He was stalking him in order to kill him. And so two weeks ago, we talked about David and his very tearful goodbye to King Saul's eldest son, 
and David's closest friend, Jonathan. And then last week we talked about the fact that David was not quite himself. So David is known for his trust in God, his trust in God, even in difficult situations, such as facing Goliath. But last week we spent some time talking about this short season of time where David was just not himself. But hopefully not many of us on this podcast have had somebody stalking us to the point of knowing that if they find us, they will kill us. I know, sadly, that there probably are some on here, and I am so sorry to hear that. And last week in the show notes, and I went ahead and left them in for today, last week I put just a link about stalking and just how to get some resources regarding the whole sad situation um looks like i'm gonna have to put it back in because i had it in last week let me let me re-add it to this week but because we're going to be talking for quite some time just about saul and and all that david went through and we were talking last week about how much of a challenge emotionally that it would have been for david and understanding why he might have resorted to trickery instead of trusting in the Lord. That doesn't make what he did right in the fact that he lied to the priest um, when he went there to try to get food. Also, not only did he lie to the priest, he pretended to be insane uh, when he went into Philistine territory. So it's, it's, you know, when you see it in the life of another, it's much easier to see the difference between trust and trickery. But it happens with each of us. We have that temptation to try to manipulate circumstances to accomplish what we feel needs to happen and when we think it needs to happen. So this week, we're only going to go over five verses. And this, this time period is what is referred to as David's time in the cave of Adullam. So Adullam was approximately 15 miles away from David's birth town, his hometown of Bethlehem. Bethlehem being, yes, the the birthplace of Jesus many generations later. David is an ancestor to Jesus. And today we may very well be able to tie together some of the similarities between them as we think about the, those who were willing to follow David even in the desperate spot that he was in and compare that to Jesus' disciples. So David has been into Philistine territory and he decides to leave there. And, and the territory specifically where he was located, not just Philistine territory, he went into the hometown of Goliath. And he took Goliath's sword that he had gotten from the priest. 
that took some boldness, but he was in such a desperate place that he just didn't feel like he could be in Israel without Saul killing him. And again, David had been promised the throne. So any of these attempts to outsmart and to manipulate the circumstances were all on his own. They were not him trusting in the Lord. But now we're going to see many times that he does trust in the Lord. So this is going to be divided up. Today we're talking about 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 5. We're going to focus on verse 2. But there are at least two Psalms that are attributed to David while in the cave. Now, the cave of Adullam was not the only cave that David hid in. I mean, David was in hiding for, I think it was about 14 years. I mean, it was a length of time that he was in hiding. Now, that's what I'm saying. Like, the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical toll that this took on him was tremendous, but God used it to prepare him for the rigors of the kingship that he would eventually claim. Next week, we're going to take on two, those two Psalms, and those are Psalm 142 and Psalm 57. We haven't talked about the Psalms. I mean, that's just not because we've been taking each of the chapters in each of the books that we've covered. So we've now covered Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and we're now in 1 Samuel up to chapter 22. But we need to interject a little bit of those two Psalms and look at just David's heart writings while he was in the cave, whether it was Adullam or whether it was in Getty or wherever it was, it was that cave dwelling time. And so we're going to look at that. And I put those in the show notes. I put a link to each of them in the show notes because I would love for you to go ahead and read through those. And I want you to think about a time in your life where you were in kind of a cave of desperation. We've all been there. Our caves look different, but we have all been in those places. And what you learned about yourself and what you learned about God in the midst. So that's a setup for next week. But here, let's jump into this week's scripture. So 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 5, and this is from the NLT. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. I just think that is very interesting. Uh, I've never, in the in looking through different commentaries, I haven't really seen a whole lot of information about that. But you've got to remember that David was the youngest of Jesse's children. And also remember that back when David wanted to fight Goliath, his oldest brother... Well, he just thought that his kid brother was just trying to get attention. He just thought that, you know, he was just being this rotten little kid. When we now know that that was not the case. 
But you could tell that he didn't really have the respect of his brothers, at least at that time. But at this point, he's been the commander of Saul's army for at least a few years. And it seems that his brothers have now gotten on board to see what kind of leader that he is. It also could be that his brothers, as well as all of his relatives, felt that their lives were in danger because they were related to him. I doubt in any way, shape, or form that there was one person within the kingdom that didn't know that Saul had it out for David. They were all on the lookout for him. We're going to see that in two weeks. We're going to see how that plays out. And it is really not a, not a, it's not a warm, fuzzy story. But David is on the run. David is in a desperate place in his life. He's done what God has called him to do, and yet he's the one on the run. A lot of times when I'm talking to people, and they're talking about not wanting to tell God that they're mad at him. And I'm like, okay, let's look at the book of Psalms. And let's think about this here. David writes from the pit of despair. And he is honest to God about what's going on inside of him. And I, I just usually say, David is writing from inside this cave and he's pretty much saying, God, why in the world am I the one I've done right and Saul is a maniac and Saul is running out free and I'm in bondage. And, and I thank God for David. Like we know that David is not perfect, but David in the midst of his despair he used that gift that God had given him to be able to put into words his broken hallelujah. And his words have touched millions since his time in the cave and since his struggles on the journey of escaping Saul. The next verse is the one that is our focal verse. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just disconnect, just contented until David was the captain of about 400 men. We're going to come back to that verse because, again, that is our focus. Verse 3, later David went to Mizpah in Moab where he asked the king, please allow my father and mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. And we'll hold off on, on verse 5 for the moment. So a little background to that, Moab. What is Moab? What As I say that, what does it cause you to think about? Well, the Moabites were not well-liked, to say the least, by the Israelites. And, and rightfully so, the Moabites were not God followers. That just, that just wasn't what they had done. And honestly, they had, at one point in Israelites' history, had tempted the men of Israel to 
just make a mockery of God and to just follow their hormones and just God was not pleased to say the least. So Moab had this, this really bad connotation when you thought about it from the Israelite perspective. But we spent probably at least two months talking about the most famous Moabitess in all of scripture. Who do you think that was? Give you a hint. There's a biblical book that is entitled with her name. That would be Ruth. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth was from Moabite. Ruth married Boaz. Ruth that is in the lineage of Jesus. Ruth, who was a Moabite woman, who married an Israelite man, and then followed her mother-in-law after the death of her father-in-law, her husband, and her brother-in-law, followed her mother-in-law to Israel, became the wife of Boaz, and became the great-grandmother of who? That would be the great-grandmother of David. So David reaches out to the king of Moab, it doesn't say for sure, but you have to think that there's got to be an idea of the fact that since he has Moabite blood running through his veins and the connection through Ruth, that he reaches out to Moab to say, hey, can you protect my parents? Now, maybe he had you know, help defend them in some way, shape, or form in one of his military campaigns. We don't know for sure. But for whatever reason, he reaches out to Moab. I just thought that was very interesting. And if I hadn't just done this study that we've been doing on this podcast and spent so many weeks in the book of Ruth, I probably wouldn't have noticed that. I probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. But this is one of the reasons to study the Bible in chronological order. That doesn't mean that there is not a place for topical studies. That's, that's not it. But you learn so much and you're able to piece together so many parts to the puzzle when you're reading through these historical accounts in the order in which they happened. And then verse 5, one day the prophet Gad told David, leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Hereth. So we will talk more about that in two weeks when we talk about David leaving the cave. But for today, let's talk about the crew that chose to follow David, even in the midst of David being a fugitive. You know, we, we, we know a lot about David already. We know how trusting he was of God as a teenager. We know that he was the shepherd boy. 
we know that he had acquired many fighting skills as a result of being a shepherd boy because he had had to fight off wild animals and had had to trust God to help him with that. We know that he was mighty in battle because the song that caused Saul to get so angry was Saul has killed his thousands and David's his tens of thousands. I mean, David was a mighty warrior. And mighty warriors, what type of person do they normally attract? Well, mighty warriors in our day and time usually attract pretty much everybody because everybody wants to have a part of their, their fame. But mighty warriors are definitely going to attract other mighty warriors. Like, that that's just how it is. I mean, whose side would you want to be on? Would you want to be on the side of somebody who is like-minded and you feel as though the mission that they're going to take on the right missions and that you're going to be part of a greater cause. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble, in debt, or who were just discontented. What a group. What a group that chose to follow David. These are ones that... Who knows? They could have been ones that were in his command in Saul's army previously, and because of his leadership, they sought him out. They could have been ones that were not in his command, but because of what they had heard about his character and his ability to lead, that they sought him out. But I just, every time I've ever read this, and let me read it in the ESV, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul or discontented, just as it is in the NLT. In other words, the elite didn't follow him out to the cave of Adullam. These were men who were down on their luck. They were desperate men following a man who was in the depths of a desperate situation himself. And it just, I just think about it. You, you think about the phrase that a lot of people use, misery loves company. I don't think that's what this was. I totally agree that that does happen. Uh, misery does love company. I mean, how many times can you can you see yourself falling into a gloom, despair, and agony, oh me conversation as one person talks about their job and then everybody joins in and like they try to want down each other in the fact that, well, mine's worse than yours is because. That's not what this is. They saw in David, even in the midst of his desperate situation, even in the midst of the fact that them attaching themselves to David could put a 
target on their backs as well. Who says that Saul will not take them out in order to get to David or to hurt David? Like, who says? And yet, in the midst of their desperation, they, they see a leader. They see a leader they want to follow. And we're going to see how this 400 turns into 600. And David gets his posse. David gets his group of men who are willing to believe in him. Who are willing to fight for him. Who are willing to follow his leadership. No matter what the cost. At the end of David's life, there's a recounting of the men who stood beside him, the, the mightiest of his warriors. As I sit here right now, I just wonder how many of those noted at the end of David's life as his mighty men, how many of them were in trouble, in debt, discontented? How many of them were a part of his desperate motley crew in the cave days? And I want you to think about your own life. So our weekly assignment feature is what types of people are most drawn to you? And how might God use your unique leadership to spur them on to Christ-likeness? David had these men who were drawn to him. Were they drawn by God? Yes. I think there's no doubt about that. But he had this certain type of person who, at least at this phase of his life, were drawn to him. Who is it that is drawn to you? Are you that type of person who draws people who are in a bad way? who are like David in this scenario where there are people who, when they are hurting, they come looking for you. They see something in you that they're not coming to you necessarily for financial help or physical help. They're coming to you because they believe you care. There's got to be some of us on this podcast that that's, that's kind of your group. One of my professors years ago, he co-wrote a book called Helping Hurting People. I think it was co-wrote. Now that I either co-wrote or wrote individually, one of the two. I'll put the link to that in the show notes if I can find it online. But that that title was just so so much a part of my calling in life. I have always felt myself 
called to help those who are hurting, and especially in my particular case, those who are grieving. Either whether it be grieving the loss of a loved one via death, or a loss of a lifestyle via a storm, that type of heartache, those are the people that I feel drawn to and usually the people who are drawn to me. You may be the person that all the kids love. Like when you walk into a room, you are the kid magnet. They just crawl over you. You don't really have to do anything. They are just drawn to you. Well, how do you think God might use that in order to grow them into Christ-likeness? Some of you, your people group are the elderly. You just love older people. You, you light up when you see them and they light up when, you, when they see you. How might God use that? How might God use that connection? How might God use that to not only work in the lives of the older people, but very possibly to touch the lives of their families? Maybe you are just super strong. I could think of somebody who might be listening to this podcast who just physically is a machine at this point in his life. The majority of people that seem to be drawn to him are those who want to achieve that same level of physical fitness. How might someone in that kind of place in life how might they use their giftedness to encourage others in Christ-likeness? There are so many different groups of people. Maybe you are a person that because of how you handle yourself, the misfits are the ones who are drawn to you. Similar to where David was in this place. Like, like, you could walk down the street and have a conversation with somebody that nobody else would probably even notice. And not only would you begin a conversation, but they would truly talk to you. Like they would believe you. They would give you the time of day because sadly, a lot of people who feel as though they're misfits even if someone reaches out to them, they're not going to trust them at all because they've been hurt so many times. But maybe you have that giftedness where they can see your heart. How could God be leading you to use your leadership in that area to draw them to Christ likeness? I want you to think about that and I want you to think about Jesus.
how that should be what we're thinking about on encouraging others in loving Jesus podcast. But think about it. Who were the people drawn to Jesus? Think about his disciples. Like, were they the elite of society? No, not even close. And that's just his disciples. Think about Mary Magdalene. We know she was not considered the elite of society. People were drawn to him. People wanted to follow him. People still, all these years later, still want to follow him. It caused me to think about a specific set of verses that come to my mind often. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28. It says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things. Things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. God calls misfits. God calls the despised. God calls those who are looked at as foolish in this world. That doesn't mean that God does not give earthly knowledge and that God will not call somebody who is a rocket scientist. That does not mean that. But how many who are brilliant have humbled themselves and are seeking Christ's likeness? Sadly, few. If your tribe... If those people that are drawn to you are the ones that are very intellectual, hallelujah. May God use your leadership to draw them to Christ's likeness. Maybe you maybe that's where you you thrive. You have a giftedness, maybe because of your career. You may be a professor. You may be a scientist. You could be somebody that is one of those, whether you have a, a doctorate in, in philosophy, whether you have a doctorate of medicine, whether you are a doctor of chiropractic, whoever, whatever, you may have those skill sets. And it may be people from your particular job area expertise that are drawn to you. Hallelujah. May God use you in those places. But the majority of people who follow Christ are not those who are in those elite places. Because so sadly, so sadly, just like the wise young ruler, those who have a lot of intellect and those who have a lot of things have a tendency to have a lot of pride, not the healthy kind. And they stumble over pride. And instead of being willing to humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, they walk away. Either because they do not believe or they will not bow a knee 
And yet one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So may today, you pray and ask God to show you the people who are drawn to you. Who is your posse? Who are those people who look to you for leadership? And how are you using your leadership skills in order to lead them to Christ-likeness? Maybe you do not know. No, let me, let me reword that. Maybe you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you happened upon this podcast because you were just wondering what in the world is going on. What are these people talking about Jesus? What's, what's the big deal? May I tell you that Jesus loves you. That Jesus died for the sins that you have committed, the sins you will commit. Those, those lies that you told. The evil thoughts that you've let pass through your mind the mean words you've said the times you have violated God's word in whatever way Jesus loves you it's not just a, a kid song he does love you and he wants so much to have a personal relationship with you you may be in trouble, you may be in debt, and you may be discontented, but thankfully, Jesus paid it all in his blood. He paid the greatest debt, and that is your sin debt. Being financially in debt is tough but being in spiritual debt that's a different story where do you stand this very day have you allowed Christ to come into your life? Have you accepted his gift of salvation? I can't get the words of Jesus paid it all out of my mind so you can hear me typing. That's what I'm doing is, is pulling up the information about the song because as a part of the group that came to David some of them were in debt and that that financial burden can wear on a person there is no doubt about that But the spiritual burden of your sin debt, 
of my sin debt. I'm gonna sing through a little bit of this. I'm not sure if I'm gonna sing through the whole part of it because I didn't plan on doing this at all. But if you have allowed Jesus to pay it all for you, how about you take this time just to, to worship? Just to be thankful that the, the descendant of David, the descendant of Ruth the Moabite, that he did pay it all for you. The sin debt that you could not pay. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Second verse is, Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Verse three, for nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And the fourth verse, And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Dear Father, we come to you. For those of us who have had our sins washed white as snow, we say thank you. Thank you that you paid the debt that we could not pay. For those on this podcast who do not have a relationship with you, who do not have any idea what it is like to be debt-free in a spiritual sense, I pray, dear Father, that you would search them and know their hearts, that you would test them and know their anxious thoughts. You would point out any offensive way in them, and you would lead them in the way everlasting. Just as David led his desperate motley crew and you accomplished great and mighty things in and through them to your glory and honor. I pray, dear Father, that you would help us to look around us and see who you have drawn to us and that you would help us not to miss the opportunity to make a difference, to point others to Christ-likeness. Dear Father, your will, purpose, and plan be done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. So I look forward to hearing from 
you this week. I would love to hear from you at encouragingothersandlovingjesus@gmail.com. Also, we have our Facebook page, Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. The information is in the show notes as well. Remember to read Psalm 142 and Psalm 57 in preparation for next week's talk about some of the emotions that David was processing during his time in the cave and be thinking about the times that you've been in that deep, dark place. Whether you were in hiding or whether you were just in a place of confusion and didn't know where else to turn. Remember that this podcast is free of charge to listen to, and therefore it's something that, you know, I would love love for you to share it with others. Who is it in your life that needs to be pointed more in Christ-likeness? Who is it that needs to be challenged in their Christian walk? I would love for you to share this with others. I thank you for tuning in and we will we will meet again here next week and just remember it's always a trust and obey kind of day. Mm-hmm.